0: Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: It's your True Faith Podcast, I'm your host. This time it's Mickey Colin. I'm joined by regular contributor Cy and Ben and delighted to welcome George Corton of The Athletic. How are you? Trailing misery in my wake as always. <laughs> and size here as well. Uh, I'd had another um, element of misery. i more misery yeah. um, with a big smile on my face. So me, uh, yeah, size, Kath- size rebel. Got Kathy Bates as well. <laughs> uh, me and Ben will try and try and inject some positivity where we can, but I'm, I'm not going to lie. It's, it, it feels like it's going to be pretty difficult to do that today. Um, obviously, we all watched that absolute. What, do you, what would you even call it? Is there an adjective that we haven't used so far to describe that performance yesterday? Anyone got anything interesting? It was a Steve Bruce performance, Mickey. Oh,
2: that's not what I was, <laughs> um. It was a tidal wave of diarrhoea. How about
1: that? <laughs> yeah, that about covers it. Um, <laughs> thanks for listening. <laughs> um, so Newcastle, I mean, Newcastle have been losing losing games at home to bad teams for absolutely ages. And my first question to you is, is do, you, do you think that, were possibly overreacting to just a a, a bad day at the office? George, I'll come to you first and see you are the guest.
2: That's very kind of you. Um, No, because I think it was the kind of performance and result that generates that kind of response. I mean, I think that's absolutely... I mean, it wasn't just bad, it was really bad. I mean, it was really, really bad. And we're used to seeing bad performances. We've seen a lot of those... Uh, in recent times, but you know that was one of those ones where you scratch your head and think, "Well, that was the worst since I've since, well, maybe only three months ago or four months ago." But <laughs> <clears throat> but it was terrible. And I think when you have a performance like that at home that just has no redeeming features, I think it's okay to have a have a pretty visceral, unpleasant response to it. It does, you know, there's there's there is that slight feeling that it's a bit Newcastle That I think we were all. Or well, most of us <laughs> eyes emoji to the left. Of, um, you know, might might have actually been feeling all right after West Ham. Certainly, I enjoyed. I think, in relative terms, I enjoyed that, and so it does feel like that was kind of quite a big crash at the end of at the end of that that kind of swing of emotion. We are two games in. You know, we're talking about. Sign, you know, three signings who who three or four signings have been good, but have only been at the club for a couple of weeks. I'm not trying to make excuses. Um, no, I mean, I think, I think the, I think the, I think that response is, is pretty fair enough because there's no, there's no redeeming feature to that.
3: Yeah, I think uh, it's, it's a slight overreaction. is in like if you've, if you've watched social media for the last 24 hours, it's been, it's been insane. Like it's been a massive blow up as if this was like unexpected. If, if Newcastle had lost 3-0 at home to Brighton in the midst of some good results or if it was like an outlier, you wouldn't get this reaction. It's because it's, it's just happening again and because you've just described it, both of you. It's It doesn't feel like that long since it happened before. So it's it's the fact that it's just it's continuing to happen. It's what's upset people so much. It's like, well, okay, we had that positive start against West Ham, but we've already reverted back after two games to the kind of the,
2: the shit Newcastle that everyone was expecting once again. So, But can we say that? Can we say reverted back? If we've had one good performance and one, or one okay performance and one awful, awful performance, is that reversion or is it just, is yeah. this a mid table team that's I mean, not very good?
3: You could argue that Blackburn with the better side on Tuesday oh, as well. No, so. you, you, that's no
2: argument. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I just, I
3: don't, um, I, f- I feel like the end of season form, bar that West Ham game, looks like it's going to continue. There was no plan and it's, it's more than 12 months since Bruce has been at the club and, and the people who were maybe having a bit of patience are now running out of it and there's, there's a lot of factors and I don't know statistically before that game we haven't scored at home to
1: brighton in the premier league ever Got one, got one in a 1-1 draw no so that was away wasn't it yeah it was
3: away we haven't scored at st James's against them in this league and you know fourth time of asking it's happened again like i think people it's just that pent up thing of that that was a good season potential that West Ham is right if he wins this one we really are could get off to a good start and this could be a really positive season but it feels like that's gone out the window already and if we just lost the game you'd think oh fair enough but it's the manner in which we lost the game with no plan no shots no anything to get excited about and it's like where do we go from here other than through the exact same season we've experienced for like five years
1: now people are just sick of it yeah it's it's no surprise that we've we've kind of ran on with the same form as we finished the season disregarding the West Ham game, which now is it becomes more clear that that, that was, was as liar. much a result of West Ham just being absolutely shocking as, as Newcastle doing anything right. Now, not to take anything away from the performance because we did play well against West Ham, but it, it's very easy to play well against the worst team in the league, which I think West Ham are. And, and, and this result against Brighton just shows you where Newcastle are going to be this season. It was kind of the, the, defined as the game that was going to show us whether we we're going to be any good or not because Brighton are going to be in and around where we thought we... We're going to be at the start of the season, and and it's gone worse than any of us could have imagined. I think what what's so disappointing is like every, everyone could see it coming, and 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 it just seemed like there was no tactical thought in the in the lineup at all. Ben, I don't know if you agree, disagree. And yeah. You know, is it is it it is, is it necessary at a Premier League club to think about whether it's fair to drop someone?
4: <laughs> yeah, that I mean that's a ridiculous excuse, isn't it? That you didn't want to drop Carol because it would have been unfair um, where I mean when when he loses his job potentially in, in a few months at what point is he then going to be ru- ruined being fair to Andy Carroll um, it's it's a difficult one I mean I think just to pick up on a couple of points you said there you are saying West Ham are the worst team in the league I actually think they played really well against Arsenal the other night and I, it kind of it's a difficult one to put into context where teams are at this point. It's you've, you've got a Brighton team that played quite well against Chelsea and got smashed three-one, and then have absolutely battered us. We played quite well against West Ham, and then fell apart against Brighton. And it was pathetic. And then you've got West Ham who were pathetic against us and then actually put in a pretty good performance against Arsenal. So tell me where out of those three teams, who's at what point? They're all on the well what two two of the teams are on three points one of them is on none but who would you say is in that little ranking of who's the better team and who's not i, I think you could probably argue newcastle are at the bottom of those three teams at the minute off the back of that
2: bright performance there's there's something kind of very interesting so si, you mentioned that thing about so- social media blowing up and of course it does and it always does and we're you know we're used to that i had to write something today this is my boss's idea it wasn't really my idea but it was about the that whole sense of Two game, two games in, and everybody is losing their shit. I mean, <laughs> yeah. at, at every club. I mean, and I'm sure that's you know, I'm sure you know that is that's just part of the world we one live. One game in now. if you're a Man U fan, or one game if you're a Man U fan, and he should be sacked and he's out of his depth. <laughs> yeah. And there is that sense that I think when you have a stadium, there is you have an you have an anchor somehow. And you know, I'm sure we've all you know we've seen things whether it's about protests here at Newcastle or boycotts and things like that. Everyone gets incredibly excited. And then when Saturday comes along, the stadium is actually quite a conservative place. Mm. A lot of the time, not always, but a lot of the time, and we don't sort of have that thing to relate everything back to. Now, I'm sure, I'm sure the stadium yesterday, if it had been full, yeah, would not say. have been a nice. Like, place. It would have been a toxic. It place. Would been a, it would not have been a nice place. But I, so after I'm, about I'm, five minutes, to be fair. Yeah, and so For I'm making. You? I'm making a wider. I'm kind of making a wider point that somehow, some you know, because of the situation we're all living in. We've lost that sort of beacon of how you relate to something. It's like that was bad, but was it bad enough to boo them off in their first first home game of the season? Well, yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. It actually probably was. Even though I always think that you know Newcastle, as a fan base traditionally would be very, very reluctant to do that for the first game of the season because you know there would be that thing you don't want to be you don't want to be a fan base that is constantly sort of agitating and all that sort of stuff anyway that's mm. a slightly separate point but i do think we've we're now in this world where we're constantly losing our shit about sort of everything because we're not with people
4: yeah
3: there's an element of that i would i would agree with you on that and i also agree with the point you made earlier that as usual newcastle did all its business 4 days before the season started so i can and i said this in my uh match special for before the game against brighton that i can concede that we're not going to see like a full tactical plan with all these new lads and everything ready straight away but it was so bad like it wasn't what's frustrating about watching that team was a the team selection which i'm sure we will go on to but b there was no sign of progress and we we finished the season really badly and we should have really been working hard this summer to put that right and it doesn't look like there's been any change or any improvement in all the play all the existing players, never mind the new guys. I can sort of let off the new guys. They're they're betting in the first game at St James's Park and they probably just you know need to find their feet a bit and yes we've got some goals on debuts across the last week but you know that wasn't going to continue. So I think it's it's I don't think many people believe that that this was a blip. I think people believe that it's it's more likely just to be more of the same and that's 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 what's worrying about the season is that we really are just going into another relegation battle and we've had we've had four already.
2: Yeah, I mean I hope I hope you're wrong about that. I mean, but I can't say that with any sort of huge enthusiasm. I mean, this is what the club has been uh for a long time now it feels. I mean, I'm very happy. No, I'll rephrase that. I am happy with the business that they've done this summer so far because I think, you know, I think it is that thing about being sensible signings and I'm not used to Newcastle behaving like a sensible football club I think everyone they've brought in will you know will improve the team that said it's been a team that struggled and for long you know although they've not been in relegation battles per se if you look at the table since they've come back to the Premier League each one of those seasons has been fucking horrendous <laughs> you know, for for large parts, yeah, for large parts, we've always pulled um, away at the end. Of it. Really, and did, pulled yeah, away, and had good yeah. second half of the season. Not not last, not last year. Um, but again, I am happy with those signings. But they're they're signings that have come from relegated teams. There are not. I, I'm not seeing clubs queuing up to buy Newcastle's players. So, what does that tell you? I mean, I think that sort of tells you something fairly accurate about about where the club is and where the team is. I'm relieved about what they've done this summer because I think it should be enough for them to be okay. And that, so, I, you know, I kind of felt a bit euphoric when Callum Wilson signed, for example, because I just think that's exactly what the team needed. But um, I don't think, um, you know, I don't think that should be a source of sort of, sort of huge, huge celebration, really.
1: It's a really good point on us as a, as a, as a selling club. Like, Newcastle are one of the teams in the league that, are, that were a happy seller. Like, if we've got someone good... But we get a reasonable offer. We would sell them every single time, regardless of the consequences. We've proved that through the entire, entire Ashley era. Now that feels like a good time, George, to mention that you're you're doing a full podcast about the Ashley era with the Athletic. I hear it's brave.
2: Yes, thank you. Well, obviously, we do have our uh, have our own podcast which we do weekly, which I hope complements yours. Um, but yes, so one of the things that the Athletic are doing as a company this. This season is doing uh, sort of special, in-depth uh, sort of in- investigation stuff. Not investigation in terms of the nuts and bolts of a club, but um, taking taking a long look at the club. So there are three podcasts in this series, and it is about sort of the Ashley years, the takeover, and kind of what happens next, and all that. And so they should be, yeah, they should be available to listen to this week. Thank you.
1: I'd like to say I'd look forward to them, but it's going to be even grimmer, I think, than listening to this one. It, looking back 13 <laughs> we'll years rival of, you. We'll rival you. <laughs> we'll give it a go. <laughs> um, but yeah, we are We are. We're a club that teams could easily poach good players from, and nobody is. That, that's a concern, isn't it? When you think about it, what, why are people not sniffing after St. Max? And I, I don't want to go into too much on him, but we saw the first negative trait of his game yesterday where he just didn't turn up. And, you know, within three minutes, he... He found someone in the box needlessly, a mental, mental tackle. And he couldn't recover from it. And I, w- I was really shocked to see that from him. And I, it wasn't something that I had anticipated like a, a bit of a setback early in the game and he and he disappeared. And I know he was injured and he hasn't trained today. So it kind of justifies that he was injured. But there was an element in me yesterday when he went down and I thought, I'm not certain whether he, and this this might be really harsh, but I was like, I'm not certain whether he's injured enough to come off or whether he just knows that he's not at it today. And I was I was massively, massively disappointed. I don't know if any of you guys Thought the same. If you want to crucify me for saying that, because he is our best player. I mean, it doesn't
3: matter either way. He was having an absolute shocker, so injured or not, he needed to come off. So I don't think we need to worry about whether or not he was, you know, pretending to be more injured than he was. probably not the case. It was, it was time to come off. He was clearly wasn't hundred percent. Even if he was ninety percent, it wasn't enough. And he was having his having his life from um, the guy for Brighton. I'm Lam-T, Lam-T, yeah. he was How, How good is he, by the say? way? Yeah, yeah he, had, he had his life, and um, we needed someone on the pitch to to Three cover. <laughs> left back who's only played a game like you know so I, f- I felt sorry for Lewis in, in that in that period because he was being left totally exposed and it needed to change regardless of injury or not so
1: I don't yeah. think we need to worry about that too much brings us nicely back onto the question which I tried to ask um, and then we, we, we've we kind of gone on a bit of a tangent is the tactical setup of the team was clearly so wrong and that that's a perfect example of it as well you know having having St Max on the left side in front of a new left back against what's obviously Brighton's attack inside with that I mean the, uh, the fullbacks come as a bit of a surprise but it to us, but it shouldn't have come as a surprise to a professional football club with scouts and you know football analysts and and, and people that are supposed to know what's going to be coming for you at the weekend. And, it, and it, it's obviously come as a massive surprise that they've got this hugely hugely pacey, explosive, brilliantly attacking fullback that's just had Max's pants down time after time after time and left left Lewis so exposed. What were, what were the tactics? Why why was there no tactics? Do we do we have tactics? Is anybody at the club capable of setting up? a tactical analysis of the opposition and then putting it into play in our team? Or is it just going to be get the lads on the pitch that you think are going to do all right and it doesn't matter how you set them up?
2: So I think that's a very interesting question and I don't really know how to sort of answer that in any kind of detail because I think, you know, I I have a measure, I'm I'm old, so I have a measure of sympathy with that, you know, the whole thing of, okay, we won last week, let's just go again with it. Now I do, I have sympathy with that because that's kind of what I was brought up with in the sort of eighties, I guess, and you know, at a time when squads squads were you know tiny, and you could go through a season, you know, with fourteen players or, or whatever. So I'm sort of used to that, and so I think my 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 sense would be, oh, well, they won last week. They did okay, fine. You're at home now. This is your formation. It's your team. Go out and cause them problems. And so I do have that. I, th- I think I have that as my sort of hinterland. At the same time. Though, you're right to point out uh, how good Lamptey was, but also how good he'd been against Chelsea in their previous match, and which w-
3: which Bruce acknowledged in his pre-match as well. It's like <laughs> we did. knew it was coming. Yeah, it wasn't just that one yeah, match. No, he was brilliant yeah.
2: in Project
4: Restart. He's, yeah. he's had a good run of yeah. form this yeah. game. It's not as if he's yeah.
2: an unknown. Yeah, and if you were looking at concerns from West Ham, you would say that that side, certainly on the defensive side, was was one that you'd want to be careful about. So, again, it's not easy to look for a kind of excuse there or look for a kind of redeeming feature from that, because again, to repeat i've got that I've got that you know it's probably a Keegan sort of thing as well. just go out and prove you're better than them, and I think there is something to be said for that. I do think there's something to be said for that, and how do you how do you measure that um when it was also pretty clear that some players were awful I mean so you mentioned Saint maximat he was off it from the start. I mean, and, you know, that was something that we heard about when he signed, that there'll be days like this, that there is a, you know, his attitude can be questionable at times. So you just sort of have to live, you have to live with that. And again, Shelby, it looked to me, just had one of those really bad days. Andy Carroll, for all that he was effective at West Ham, he looked like he couldn't move and he was he was static and isolated and all the stuff that we saw when he played last season. So at what point, you know, at, at, what, at what point do you blame the, the formation? Did the formation lose the game or did the players not turn up or is it a bit of both? But I, I mean, I agree. I mean, so to take a step back from what I've just said, if you look at Lamptey as the example, as the case study, nobody comes out of that very well because the warning signs were there. The warning signs were from Newcastle's performance at West Ham and they were there from the way that Brighton had been playing too.
4: I mean, we just didn't have an answer for it though at all, did we? I mean, even he, he tried to move Hendrick over. That I think after it was probably about twenty minutes or so, he, he actually moved Hendrick over to the left to try and cover. And let's be honest, he's not pacey. Like he he got burnt straight away. And it it, it was a it, I felt most sorry for Lewis in that he was literally um, kind of left on his own to to deal with these. And in his second game, I mean, obviously he's played a full season um, for Norwich last year, where he's probably had similar experiences. To be fair. Um, but uh, it's just he was pretty much, he was hung out to dry a bit and I just think there wasn't, the, the problem was there was literally we had no answer for it and even even in the personnel, I mean I remember you you we were obviously all, um, what's happened during the game and, and you said oh we've got to get Miggy on, Miggy isn't as quick as this kid he wasn't going to change, if, if he'd have come on on that wing he wasn't going to make things any better and I, he might have doubled up back and he would have worked harder defensively, I get that but it was just one of those where we just did not have the personnel to deal with that pace, I don't unfortunately.
1: Think I, I don't think I agree. And I think when Almiran came on, it, it, it did ease it up a bit down that side. It was side. a moderate
2: improvement.
1: Yeah. You know. But only because St. Max literally was doing nothing. Like, that's my point, is but that Hen- Hen- Max wasn't getting back. At least Miggy would have worked back and, and helped out. Um, Either way, though, you know, the Hendrick, Hendrick switch, switching sides, comes after 20 minutes, whatever it was. Almiron comes on at half time. We're two 0 down after seven minutes yeah. because of the, that one decision playing that, playing that left side and, and I do feel sorry for Lewis and you know Lewis, Lewis is fast like he's a seriously fast player and there was a point in the first half where there was a foot race between him and and Lambert, down the down the right hand side and he lost it and fouled fouled him really badly, um and I thought then you know Christ like what what can what can we do here? But what we could do is is just think about who's going to play on that left side. That's all that needed to happen is in the build up this game think they've got like the fastest lad in the world playing playing right back. Let's put someone that's quick and gonna work hard on the left hand side. That's all that's all it takes. The, the really it pace though. Like you you just have to limit the
4: space. The the reason he, he was so effective was he was literally had the full pitch to run into and and Lewis was tucking in and Maximan wasn't tracking back, and that's why he was so effective was that once he'd run past Maximan, who then gave up pretty quickly, he had basically the whole <laughs> the whole rest of the pitch to to run into. And I think that's where the frustration was, was that it took so long. I mean, the, the game, the, the, the frustrating thing is, that the game was done after seven minutes of the day, and and you can complain about the decisions and stuff, but I don't think anybody would have foreseen us being out of the game after five, after seven minutes. And I think to, no, I don't want to stick up for Bruce, because I, I think he made mistakes and it. it was he, he cost us the game, I think, in some of his decisions there. But the reality is, is that he wouldn't have foreseen us being 10 or down after seven minutes. And, you can't how like how can you react to that? That's something that happens that quickly. He made the so we, we talked about. He tried to bring Hendrick over and and, and, he, and he made ch- changes at half time and he he did try try to to correct it. But the reality is is that game was done after after five minutes of the day and that's the but that's the most frustrating thing is as you say that it's that pre match preparation where okay they the, the penalties are just a frustrating mistake. But then the second goal is so avoidable as well and it's just
1: frustrated yeah. mistake after three minutes. How frustrating can you get in three minutes?
3: I mean, the first three minutes were embarrassing. Anyway, it well, was uh, terrible. That, that was
1: coming. Um, listen, I it's think just
3: uh,
4: a ta- my point is that it was just a tackle. He did not need a mate. like he's, it's a forwards tackle. What's he doing? Getting back, trying to stick his foot in there, winning the ball.
3: I think it's harsh to blame players and harsh to say that we don't have the personnel to deal with with a Brighton fullback who's you know just just hit the scene. I'm sure it, we could have. I it think just didn't look like it. It's I the think problem. the setup was all wrong, and I think uh, there's two things. One is that um, he, the manager acknowledged that this is a Brighton team who like to. You know, like to have the ball and they're going to have a lot of the ball and they, they work the channels and they, they play quite a nice brand of football in that in that way. So you know you're going to have to do a lot of work to get the ball back, you know you're going to have to press, you know you're going to have to chase players down. So selecting Andy Carroll in that team was never ever going to work. I, I would also argue that having a two-man midfield of Shelby and Hayden wasn't going to work and it didn't. I think they, that was where he let us down is that we weren't Set up personnel wise or formation wise to deal with Brighton when he acknowledged the way they were going to play. I think what Bruce suffers with, and I can sympathize with a little bit, is that this damned if you do, damned if you don't, you know, we won the first game. So if you change it and you lose, you get hammered. If you don't change it and you lose, you get hammered. And I totally sympathize with that. But my issue with Steve Bruce on these occasions is that he makes the wrong decision more often than he doesn't, in my opinion. I mean, George, I'll, I'll let you come back to me because I don't know if you see it the same way, but. It just feels like he gets it wrong and he gets it wrong and then he's not very thick-skinned about it and he'll just find an excuse like it would have been unfair to drop Andy Carroll. I mean, Andy Carroll, he played all right at West Ham. He won a few headers, but he didn't set the world alight. And if he dropped him and played Almiron and changed the formation to deal with Brighton, people would have understood. So that was
4: the... I think Andy Carroll would have understood. Yeah, that was a
3: weak excuse. And you're right, (laughs) Carroll, while winning a few headers, but barely left the centre circle. Whenever we got into West Ham's box, Carroll was at the edge of the box. He wasn't, you know leading the line which is what you need especially if we're going to play expect not to have the ball need to counter-attack and need to get the ball forward quickly um l- launching the ball down the throat of Lewis Dunk for the first 45 minutes was just like painful to watch and Carroll was nowhere near it, and that's not necessarily his fault I thought that both our passing and and playing the ball out was was really poor anyway but Carroll's not going to get 10 yards across to the ball it needs to be on his head or, or he's, he's basically redundant we played that first half with 10 men and um you could argue nine because of how poor Maximan was, and yeah. I just I would think, go Disgrace, because I thought Shelby was a disgrace as well. Yeah. yeah I thought
4: it was really
3: bad. So there's just there's just too many things wrong with how we set up for that game, and some of that's got to go back to the manager. And it just feels like that's why it feels like the same old, same old. There was no sign of like, well, actually, I can see what he's been trying to do there. I have no idea what he was trying to do there. I have no idea. Fair enough. Brighton had loads of the ball, and they probably hit us by surprise. I mean, they're, they're better than maybe people said before the game arts oh, Brighton, should be beating these you've got to respect them they're a decent side but they're not that good they probably won't finish in the top 10 there'll be lots of teams that'll no you they know, haven't spent money and yeah there, know, there'll be lots put. of teams that beat them without without worrying about it too much and we're we're, we're we're bigging them up like they're some sort of like world beers they're not but fair enough they they came out well they started the game well and we whilst defensively we we struggled so much what frustrated me even more is when we did have the ball we had nothing. We had no plan. We weren't getting the ball forward. There was no cohesion between any of our players when we did have the ball for the for the short periods we did. So like no shots on target speaks itself. But the the lack of a plan when we had the ball was was
4: just as worrying as how poorly we dealt with Brighton's attack and threat. That's always been the issue with this Newcastle side though, isn't it? In that whenever we're supposedly the superior team, so it, it was always you talked about the, the record against Brighton is horrific. Huddersfield was the same, we were really poor. I remember Fulham, the, that Fulham side that got battered from all corners of the of the, the country, took four points off, off us that season. We we struggle in games where we're meant to be the, it was, it the was derby team. It was and derby, the, yeah, they got eleven points. No, we no, gave it was Fulham them four. as well. Though I remember, yeah, the, the Fulham where we, they they ran through. I, I think it was Kamara ran during the last minute. Thought we were going to get beat. Um, there, there's a for for whatever reason this team really. Well, it's not for for whatever reasons because they. They they struggle where they've got to be the the protagonist in the game and in, in terms of take the game the teams and in games where they're expected to to offer more in the game we just can't do it for whatever reason and that's where I think and you you mentioned Shelby that's been the most frustrating thing about Shelby in his Castle United career is that in the games where you would expect him to come into the fore and and dictate the play and and show that he is a better player than all of them because I think most of us would would think would would probably. Say that Shelby would walk into any of those sides normally. Um, those are the games where he he just doesn't turn up and, he, and he, he he doesn't dictate the play. And it's actually the the bigger teams where it's it's easy. We don't have to worry about having the ball and we can just defend and try and hit on the counter. Actually, where we come into our four, and I think this is that's the biggest um, problem. The, the biggest problem that I think Bruce has got where. He he comes into these games where there's the expectation is on us to to take the game to them and and he's talked himself about wanting to play more from football and from football sorry and and having putting his own stamp on the team and stuff but it as you said like what what does that look like where is that coming from and and this is the type of game really where he should be able to display that and and show the um the fruits of his work up to this point and and that was it and it was pathetic and it was it was, uh, it was I mean, shocking
2: and sadly. Newcastle are not a good enough team to have one player having an off day, let alone two. And they haven't been that's been the case for a long time, and that's that's just the kind of team that that we are at the moment. And it's not what it's not what anybody wants. But um so I mean I think we've seen I think we've seen the sort of continuation of that. I suppose the the difficult thing is watching a team like Brighton is that you can see the plan very clearly. And they did finish below Newcastle last season, but You can see what they're trying to do and there's a very obvious plan on the pitch and they're doing what they want to do. And They might not win every week, but they're doing what they want to do. And I agree. I think you look at Newcastle and it's shapeless. And we know the kind of team that they're going to be. They're going to be a counter-attacking team. They they have been a counter-attacking team. And if you buy Fraser and Wilson, Bournemouth transitioned to becoming more of a counter-attacking team in the last couple of years and that's where, that's where their skill lies so I don't see any of that changing with Newcastle, there's pace there's pace up front if you take Andy Carroll out, you know, and there's movement and there's there's an attacking threat but the way they're going to work is like that they're, they're still not going to be comfortable at keeping the ball for long periods, I don't think and I think that causes a problem I mean, home, what does home mean now, it doesn't really mean very much if you mm. don't have a crowd there. I don't know, I mean maybe it does Maybe there's still that sort of impetus to do something. But you're right, it's when you're expecting the team to be the ones doing something that they struggle. But you saw that in microcosm against Blackburn uh, in the Cup. I mean, that was awful to watch. I mean, you know, Blackburn looked like Man City. They looked, I mean, again, to, with Tony Mowbray as manager, you know what you're going to get. You know you're going to have possession-based football. I think, you know, maybe we hoped we were going to see a little bit more of that at, Newcastle, but it just looks, it kind of still has that shapeless feel. You can't, if there's a plan beyond, you know, beyond counterattacking, whatever that means. I don't quite know what the plan, what the plan is, or how it's going to work.
1: Well, it's, I mean, we're going to try in the second half of the show and do be a little bit more positive about Bruce. But my my big concern about what's happened over the past seven days is. All of us in this room and a vast swathe of the Newcastle fan base across social media and if you just speak to people, if you're texting your pals out in the lads, everybody knew that that this weekend was gonna go wrong. You know, Alex has taken great delight in highlighting his um his message to Norman through the week about is Bruce gonna play Carol? And if he does it's wrong and it and it's gonna prove to be wrong and it was, and like everybody kinda knew that already. Like we were gonna come into this game and set up wrong and and all of us knew it. You sure? But but Bruce didn't know it. I remember a preview where you and Adam both
4: projected a one, one or well, two. You well, know, I, I always, I was massively, I'm the lads. But
1: on a serious note, we knew, we knew things were going to be set up wrong this weekend, and it feels like almost everyone else knows that it's going to go wrong before the people that are that are running the football side of the club. Like, why, why is that? That's madness. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't just the selection of Andy
3: Carroll, but that is one of the key factors. He just wasn't right for that. I mean, I don't think he's right for any game. I'm, I'm fucking sick of Andy Carroll. He's not played well. In the year he's been here, he's got like four assists in thirty odd appearances. That's that's crap. That's not good. If you're meant to be the target man Oh, you must
2: have enjoyed the first twenty seconds at West Ham. <laughs> <laughs> that was brilliant. Come I on. Know, if you're a target
3: man, it's not okay just to have a couple of assists like and not score any goals in the Premier League. If your target man gets you four assists and no goals, you're gonna get relegated. Like we should not be building a team around Andy Carroll. He should not have got a new contract based on last season. It's an absolute waste of a shirt and it's really fucking annoying to watch every week and Everyone saw that coming, and he's he's not any better. He's totally it's immobile. Only the
2: waste. It's only a waste of a shirt if you're confident that the club would filled it with somebody else.
3: Exactly,
1: which we wouldn't have.
4: I honestly think that I'd, I'd rather Muto was playing or Gale. Like it's he wouldn't it, be. They wouldn't, I was going to say Muto wouldn't be getting a game even if Carroll wasn't there. Let's be honest. He would
3: still offer more than Andy Carroll. That's my I opinion. I know. I
4: know he would, but he, he Bruce or, wouldn't be or playing. Or we should have he, played
3: Almiron and and, and played definitely and and try to get the ball to Wilson using a bit of counter attack. But I mean. Either way, I'm just fucking sick of the Andy Carroll yeah. saga. Like, he shouldn't be here. It's really annoying. I'm sick he's of got, that whole, I, I, he's the whole... He's a local lad, so give him a chance. I, I, I don't care. I don't care if he's a local lad. It means nothing. He's not good enough to play Premier League football at all.
4: The problem is he shouldn't be starting at this stage of his career. That's the issue. I, I think there's a there's a role for him to come off the bench for 10, 15 minutes in a game where you've got to go direct and try and get back in and, and he can't just run around like a headless chicken, headbutting, like... Run around LeBron in, in, in a five-yard radius. Well, yeah. But like the, the, there was times last year where he he was effective at times. I mean, the Man U game, for example, that we won at home. He he had a big hand in that. And but the, the, I completely concede the point is, is that he shouldn't be starting games for Newcastle United in 2020. What how he's he's managed to get ahead of Joe Linton in the pecking order
1: oh, after on. Naby after
4: after the pair. Like as bad as their seasons were, Joe Linton still managed to score two goals. Carol didn't. Like, um, yeah, and don't get. And I know, I know, he offers more. I like. I'm, I'm, I'm taking the Mick a think, bit with that.
2: But I think then this is the, this is the problem, though, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, so by all accounts, or certainly by Steve Bruce's account, Carroll had a good pre-season, and there was no other striker. I mean, if you don't include Jolinton, which I don't, yeah, um, there was no other striker who was anywhere near the first team. So I think, I think that almost left him with no choice, and I think he did okay at West Ham. I mean, I. You know, was it running back? the no? But I did really enjoy the first twenty seconds. I mean, I'll repeat that. And, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I want more of that. And you know, there was something there. There was something there. And I think, I think him and in Wilson, him and Wilson did okay together. And there was, you know, there was a bit of promise there. But equally, you then fast forward a week, and there's they're so isolated, and Andy Carroll can't run around, can't run around to make something happen anymore. So. Uh, you know, it then looks like a horrific decision. I think he's fourth choice. I think in an ideal world, Andy Carroll is fourth choice striker. He's, but, he's
4: a, he should be a last resort. But, to, where, but where are off. the others?
2: You know, where are the mm. others? So you have Wilson. My fear, my great fear is, um, is still if something happens to Wilson. And I think we saw a glimpse of that again against Blackburn. Suddenly, what happens? Um, you know, there was just not. You, you know, you're left. You're left with a, a fella who were the best one in the world. You know, at least Andy, if Andy Carroll could get to the box, he would know what to do when he got there. Jillinton can get to the box, but chooses not to and doesn't know what to do. And I think that's the sort of dilemma. It was such a relief when Dwight Gale came into the team towards the back end of the season because suddenly you've got a fella who the club have tried to get rid of for two years, but you've got a fella who knows what to do. And he can't always do it because he's maybe not at that level. But it was such a relief. And that's why Wilson was, you know, such a relief to sign but they need, they need help they do need they need to fill you know at least another loan signing with the striker because it's not enough as
1: things stand we shouldn't even we shouldn't even talk about Wilson getting injured because we might as well just pack it all in there and then like, <laughs> it would be very we would, scary
5: we would get relegated wouldn't
1: we let's like, be honest I mean Carl's not going to score Jill Linton literally cannot score no. Gail Gale's out for at least three months and will probably get another injury over the course of the season because that's how he is. You can't
2: get through a season, like, you can't have another season like last season. That can't happen again. I and mean, they won't get away with it. They won't get away with it again. You don't get away with two seasons like that in a row.
1: And Lucky to get away with one, really. Yeah, yeah. If you no, look at I the mean, statistics for last season, we, we should have got relegated. They we should have been relegated.
2: You know, you have to take, you have to, you have to take those, you have to take the seasons like that and be happy for them. Happy is maybe not the right word, but you you know, be grateful it, that you got it, away with it because it should and could have been a lot yeah but sometimes you have good seasons like that I mean when when we finished fifth that was a season when everything ran for us you know so you would have big injuries and whoever came into midfield whether it was James Perch or whatever it was seamless and I'm not saying last season was seamless because it was horrific but <laughs> but it didn't you know they, they found a way of winning or they you know I was, I was at I was at Bramall Lane and I still can't believe how Newcastle won that game
1: that was a great that was a great night. Yeah. That. Totally enjoyed that. It was ridiculous.
2: <laughs> I mean, it was astonishing. But they they had a season like that. But you don't get away with two seasons like that in a row. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, I think that's the problem for me. Is that um,
3: after two games, we're now looking to see are there three teams worse than us and struggling? Uh, I'm struggling with that. I mean, West Brom don't look good enough. Fulham don't look good enough. West Ham are in in um, you know as as much turmoil as we are, um, probably more so than than we were at the start of the season. Um, beyond that, I'm struggling for anyone who looks worse than us. And it's, uh,
1: it's two games in. Like,
2: well, oh God, it was 50% all right. Come on. <laughs> That's, I
1: mean, the last two, last two and a half weeks have just summed up what it's like to be a Newcastle fan perfectly, haven't they? You know, we've had the, the crushing, crushing low of the, the latest takeover breaking news, swiftly followed by three massive, massively unexpected, genuinely positive, good signings. And then we go to West Ham and play really well. Or, or seemingly play really well. Come away with three points away from home. First first time we've won the first game of the season for feels like literally 150 years. And then you then you play Blackburn in the cup and you're shit. And then you play Brighton at home in the league and you're shit and lose 3-0. And it's a turbulent nature in your castle. Summed up perfectly. And this is a question that I think might give some of you the chance to be slightly more positive about Bruce. So I'm, not, I'm not looking at you. Um, but is, it, is this just what it's going to be like? Or are we just going to be this up and down basket place Roller coaster club that Newcastle United have always been. And if we think about it like that, last season Bruce got away with that and he, and he, he overachieved from what most of us expected last season by doing exactly that by being up and down a bit yo yo. Are we going to be able to see the same thing from Newcastle again? And is it going to be enough? Sai, I'm not coming to you. Enough for what though? Are you talking about avoiding relegation as, well, I mean, as, as the sum total of what we want this season again? Let's be realistic though. Like yes, that is, that's what we that's what we're in for, isn't it?
2: I mean God? it is, yeah. And it's horrible to say that. It is horrible to say that. But, you know, if you think back twelve well, fifteen months, whatever it was, to last summer and what do you, what do you set out? Well the it was like, Okay, well, I'd take staying up now at that point. I'd take staying up. And then you have what's happened. Uh, this spring and summer, and it almost feels until the signings came in, and it feels like exactly the same thing sort of happening. That there's a trap door under the club, and it's like, oh well, hopefully we'll still, you know, hopefully we start this time again. And it's it's that's no way to live your life as a football fan. Um, I think the signings came in, and there was that jolt of positivity because it was it was strangely positive, and they've still got time to to add to add to, to that. And I hope they would. I mean, my hope was just. For it to be a little bit better um, because you did just want to pull your own eyes out at times <laughs> last season um, so but it, it does it does feel like that I mean I think, I think a lot of teams in the Premier League have seen some of the results so far and the results are crazy in terms of the scorelines and I think Newcastle will be on the wrong end of some of those I do think that will happen I think they'll be okay um, you know it was shit against Blackburn but we're still in the League Cup Morecambe this week I'll be there for that. Can't wait. <laughs> and then they've got a decent draw. And so one of the things I loved about last season, I mean it was painful. I called it a cup limp. It wasn't a cup run. But to 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 still be in to still be in the cup at that point of the season. The season was still alive. It was still alive with something positive. Because we to a, win it. As as a I mean, you know, you then get the Zen lockdown and you get Man City and you think that's probably going to be the end of it. And but um, but to actually have something positive and daft and silly and just a bit different we, to play for,
1: we might have beat Man City with the full and Jameses. We might have. Yeah, Not I was, against all I the was, odds, I was, is it? I was, I,
2: I was only there for a couple of games last season after lockdown, and it was it was so it was so awful. It was so depressing, and you did think, you know, what this place would have been like if it had been full and pissed up, and um, you know, it would it would just been a great occasion at least to start with, um. And you don't, but it was that that. When was the last time we had that feeling of a season being alive? I'm okay, championship season, but but in terms of something to actually look forward to, and those games were different. You know, they were they were they were all almost horrific <laughs> for different, but except Newcastle found a way, and it was such a novelty. I would like a bit more of that. Just have the season stay alive for a bit longer.
1: I would take it. I, w- I would take it. You know, a, a, a season where we avoid relegation and have a decent run in the cup. I would have. I'd have it again this year. Uh, the the fact that that's a massive problem is is one that we could do to death and we'll have to save it for another podcast. Ben, what I wanted to ask you was, have you seen anything so far that that worries you that this is going to be significantly worse than last year, or is is Bruce going to do enough to keep us in the league?
4: I mean, it's hard it's, as we said, it's two games in, so and and fifty percent of those games went didn't look too bad, but the other fifty percent looks really really bad, and that's the problem is is which which is the real. Now, as, as I say, I think that there are two strange results in that. I think West Ham were played a lot worse in that game than I expected. But we we made them play that way and I think so there's positives to taking that in that we're gonna be capable. And I, I think it comes back to the point I made before where I think West Ham at home would have expected to to take the game at Newcastle and, and they couldn't and didn't. Um so those types of games I think will be okay in. It's it's these other the, the, the fixtures of against the, the clubs. That we would probably measure ourselves against. That's going to be the the brutal ones where I think we don't yet haven't have that way of playing or way of breaking them down. And I mean, would basically the answer seemed to be lump the ball up to Andy and see if Callum can get to the end of it? That's not going to be successful in this day and age in football. Unfortunately, it's moved on, and and teams know how to counter that and. It's, it's a tough one because, as I say, hopefully he's, he's, he's learnt his lesson off, off that. That was embarrassing. And I think he, he doesn't have to worry about upsetting Andy going forward, hopefully. Um, he'll actually pick that, pick it to.
2: I think we all expected Almiron to start at West Ham and he didn't. Yeah. And he, did surpri- he surprised us yeah, 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 with that a fair yeah. play to him because it worked. But, I mean, I am actually quite looking forward to seeing if there's a way of getting St. Maximum Fraser... That
4: front four, four, is we, we talked about, It is potentially exciting.
2: And Hendrik was really good at West Ham. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Andy Carroll should be nowhere near it. (laughs) Nowhere near it. So I think there's stuff to look forward to.
4: And I would always say defensively, we're we're solid like that. The defenses in the last few seasons. Let me just give you a stat then on that basis.
1: Someone sent us today. Um, In the last 40 games, we've conceded three or more goals 10 times. 10 times? One in four games, we've conceded three or more goals. That's not a solid defence.
3: That's a far more worrying years. reflection on the on what's happened over the last ten years, and um, we've had various debates with with um, some of your um, esteemed colleagues, George, um, Luke Edwards, name one, where he disagreed that that many of our players have regressed. He tried to say that Lascelles has improved. I completely disagree. I don't I agree think, with that. I think. All of our defenders have, have got worse. Barman Keo, who's been fairly steady. Better. Fernandez, I think, um, is, Fernandez has is been the good. same or better. He's Yeah, he's, I wouldn't say he's got worse. better, but you know, we're conceding a lot more goals with these players in the team, so you tell me. Are, are any of them getting better? Um, I think that, generally speaking, our squad of players before the signings was just getting worse and worse, and we've had to buy better than we usually buy players to put us back to exactly where we were, which is a real worry that the rest of the team just getting worse and worse. So... um. The, the that stat about conceding goals is, is a real worry. It's like th- That's not the sign of a team that's going to continue to be lucky enough to to get enough points. And you said before that Bruce exceeded expectations by getting 44 points. and He did, did though. You know, did, did, he, did he exceed expectations by being better than we expected or did he just get a lot luckier than he expected? And you know what I think of that but I guess I'm putting that question back to you guys. I think it was pure luck that we got as many points as we did last season and it would have been totally totally justified if
1: we'd finish the season with 30 points or less the stats are the stats are on your side with that aren't they because we were 19th for chances created 19th or 20th for goals scored i, I can't remember exactly what they what they were but it's we're the bottom two for most it's, it's grim grim to look at but you know you can you can only beat what's in front of you and like we did that enough times last year <laughs> to stay but you know like that's the black and white of it is though we We did it enough times last year to stay in the league. George George said it before, you can't get away with that twice. So something
2: has to change. I think you have to, I think if a manager deserves shit after a defeat, then he deserves credit after a win. And so he he deserves credit for the points total. And I think think the one thing um, that the club have had since they've come back into the Premier League is that they have had a good team in terms of people. And I think that's been nurtured and protected. I think... Um, you know, and I, I, I think that's something that Steve Bruce is, is good at—that uh, uh, sort of being a people person, if you want to call that. I mean, that's 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 his strength. He might not be a tactician, but um, and he has that way of protecting his players. Um, so I think I think that's fair enough. I think, yeah, if you look at the underlying stats, it's it's incredibly uh, worrying and alarming. If you look at the overall picture, I think the team had a spirit about it, which allowed it to get results that it didn't deserve and we saw i think if you see that once over the course of the season, you can say that's a fluke if you see it a lot of times you have to say that there's something there, but those stats had to be addressed because if you if you don't you can't i mean so when I say that they were lucky to do what they did, you can't rely on spirit at some point you need talent and you need hope and you need goals you know you need goals and um I can't remember what the question was.
1: Well, Just where did, out of juice. Where did the goals come from? That's a question. And hopefully, hopefully, Wilson's going to step in.
2: I mean, but there's there's other sorry, there's those other things about whether players have regressed or or whatever. You know, you can look at Hayden. I think he's he had a really good season last last year. Maybe some of this stuff would have been organic. You know, Shelby had a good season. He wasn't in the team under Rafa, so you know you can look at these things. You can look at these things in sort of lots of lots of different ways. Sure, did Shelby long. have a good season? Well, he was in the team. He was in the te- He was back in the team, and I, I, I he said was kept out of the team by the form of Hayden and Longstaff. Longstaff has disappeared, so I think you always have these things. Yeah,
3: I agree. Sean Longstaff fell off a Cliff, and you probably wouldn't get in the team at the minute based on the form we saw when he did kind of appear. I don't know what's happened to him. I don't know if it's fitness or injuries or what. But
1: to, that honestly, man that that ball from Space Jam has been in the change room because, like, to think about what's happened to Share and, and Longstaff, <laughs> like. They, they, honestly, that's what it looks like. There was the Seriously, where where is it? Where is it gone? How it he wasn't in the um,
2: squad. I, he wasn't in the squad yesterday, was he? And seeing him, <laughs> where's Michael, Michael Jordan? Seeing Longstaff <laughs> against Blackburn was we we
3: talked shocking, about really. about
2: Shelby with Luke Edwards as well the other week,
3: and um, I disagree that he's he's improved. Yes, he's been in the team, and you know, under referee wasn't getting in the team. And he scored five, was it, in the end, or six? Six he got last year. Top um, score. Top score. Which is what he did for Swansea in, like, 2012. So my argument was that, well, he's basically the same player he was eight years ago. He's not really improved. Uh, he's only just got back to that level okay. he was at Swansea. Okay, improved for Newcastle. Um, and that, uh, he, in the games he scored, he was good, but he, he same old Shelby the rest of the time, just totally, totally vacant.
2: I described him as a liability at the start of last season. Yeah. I would have had him nowhere near the team. And he came in and immediately scored, which showed what I know about football. But, <laughs> yeah. But no, I mean, and, you know, that's always, an, it's, you know, who's improved, who's got worse. It's an interesting, well, I think it's an it's interesting a, one, but at the end of it, you're still left with a team that's...
3: Yeah, the centre midfield is really important, I think, if we're going to bring someone
1: in before the end of the transfer window. I'd love to see us bring a centre mid in. It brings us on to our, our, our last question quite nicely, that because you look at, look at the team that started that game yesterday and look at the core of the team through the middle of the park, and you've got Shelby and Hayden in the middle, you've got Lascelles and Fernandes, centre half, and you've got Darlow and Gull. That's the core of a team that was that played for us in the championship, and it's you know this is our this is our fourth season now out of the championship, and that core of the team is still there. Other teams strengthen the core because the core is where you win your games. The core is where you get your points, and and Newcastle haven't done it. Now, obviously, the criticism on that doesn't fall asleep versus feet for for, for a change. It falls at the falls at the people that are in the club. I disagree with that. Do we? let me finish the question and I'll come to you first. Do do we need to give Bruce some more time and some more transfer windows to actually build his own team or, or have things gone wrong that are (laughs) size waving his hands in the air to say no, No, have things gone wrong at board level and at manager level that, that mean that it's not going to happen. Ben, I'll come to you first. Just on, on that
4: point, you said, um, that it's not Bruce's fault. We, you would have said we, Shaw and Lejeune probably would have been our preferred center back pairing. Um, as we came up in at the Premier League to I mean Lejeune looks like a world beater at times before one Kane of my favourite defenders he looked brilliant could do everything he's the type of football and that's the frustration is that we talk about what style of football we're going to play Shaw and Lejeune were players that were good enough defensively and were good enough to, to contribute into in, into the phase of bringing the ball out and, and playing some more attacking football and, and they've been completely shelved for probably, and I mean this with all respect, probably the worst footballer in in the Premier League in Jamala Sells. He He's just <laughs> shocking on the ball. He's yeah. a brilliant defender. You mean that with all respect? Yeah. The, the, he's, worst, okay. the worst yeah. technical right. footballer. He's, he's got a lot of, what I mean is he's got a lot of strength. He's a brilliant defender, like great character and, and he's got a lot going for him. But the bloke can't play, he's not He's not good enough to play football in the, prim, in the Premier League in terms of bringing the ball out. He just hasn't got it in him um and then you've got Fernandez, who isn't much better um in that facet now they're both good defenders but bruce has chosen to go with them and um in in the fact that lejeune's gone to is it um he's gone to spain now isn't was it Ibar, kind of yeah um like i mean he he didn't look great the last obviously since he's come back from injuries he struggled a bit but just the fact that him he's been paid off shaw was being adopted as a centre mid at the back end of last season rather than the centre-back, that is Bruce's decision-making to to go with, basically, your, your brown flakes rather than your shreddies. Like, I'm sorry, but... For... <laughs> I mean, yeah, uh, Bruce's decisions,
3: part two, he gave Andy Carroll a new contract, he gave Matt Ritchie a new contract, he gave... He's played no minutes. John Joe Shelby. Games. Yeah, Matt Ritchie, I don't really understand what that's about, especially now that we've bought in a different right winger and a different left back. So where's Richie going to play? Who else are you giving your contract to? Shelby, which I mean, some people would agree that was a good move. I I disagree. I think we need to move on from Shelby because after five years, we've not got any better with him and to to tie him down for another four years of the same just means we're kind of accepting our position, which I know it is what we are. We are this perennial relegation battling side until something more dramatic changes about the club. But uh, Bruce has been part of all these decisions to, to, um, Dish out these contracts, and I agree that the club could have done more in the last four years to, to build a Premier League team and hasn't. But he's been part of those decisions for the last 13
1: 14 months now. He's only he's only been backed once, so hasn't he? And, and you know, as much as I've said, that core of the team needed a change, striker had to be the priority, had to be the priority 100%. Everyone could see that, Bruce could see that, Mike actually knew that, Every everyone in football knew that Newcastle had to sign a striker when you've only got so much money to spend, and that's not that's not Bruce's fault, when you've only got so much money to spend and you have to buy a striker, it doesn't leave you a lot to 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 strengthen two other key positions where players are expensive. Oh, yeah. so, so
2: they were, I mean, a bit of context for Carol. So when that happened, and I spoke to spoke to Bruce at the time, and they signed Mankeo at the same time, didn't they? That was just before he yeah, started. Yeah, yeah. And they were trying to get Matty back. At that point, he was really worried. He was really worried about, what shape the club would be in the team would be in when it came back after all the you know takeover stuff and all the you know all the things that were flying around how that would affect his authority blah 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 they were also worried that without or he was also worried that without the carrot of a contract as opposed to just playing for a couple more weeks a few more weeks um that Carroll wouldn't have had and Longstaff didn't have and Manquillo wouldn't have had whether they would play and so he was left in a very in a I mean I do have sympathy for this, he was left in a very difficult position where if Carroll hadn't been available, if Mankeo hadn't been available, Longstaff didn't play, you know, blah, blah, blah. But that they they would be caught really short and you know, you come back, you lose your first game, you lose your second game, you lose your third game. But well, you see what happened to Bournemouth. And you see what happens at Bournemouth. So there was a there was a genuine fear on his behalf there. So I think they compromised he said at the time, you know, Longstaff was the one that they really wanted to kind of get done, and uh, they had to wait for a long time. Time with that is that sensible forward planning? No, but nobody could have foreseen what we were coming into this spring, and Newcastle aren't a club that are very good at forward planning. <laughs> um, and then, you know, the the thing about the thing about coming up from the Championship and still being the core of the team. I accept that to a certain point. Except that Darlow wouldn't be playing under normal yeah. circumstances, and both Lascelles and Hayden are young. I mean, they're young enough to get better, and there's nothing wrong with your, you know, coming up with those players and those players growing and being good enough, provided that there's a right, there's the right amount of competition around them, and all those things are being done right. I was delighted that Hayden signed a new contract, for example, because I think he's been he's been really good and is re- is a really important member of the team and the squad. I don't have a I don't have a problem with that and I also don't have a problem with um you know that core spirit of the championship still being protected. I think that's okay. I think that's been Newcastle's good great strength over the past 3 or 4 years. I've hated watching them a lot of the time, <laughs> but <laughs> I've I've loved knowing that there is that sort of all in it together kind of shit and when you can't you know if you can't love your players because of how good they are if you can respect them and love them because they're trying their hardest mm. it should be a bare minimum but it hasn't always been at this club and so you know so i would i would sort of counter that a little bit it's not you know that's not finishing top or second or winning anything but i think it's when it's at a time when it's been very difficult to love the club it's it's actually been okay to love the team because you know that they're decent lads
1: there's a famous yeah. the the famous flag, isn't it? We don't demand a team that wins, we, or don't want a team that wins. We demand a team that tries, and we do have that. And, and we've know, had that. Yeah, yeah, we have we have had that. And I, I don't like that, when people criticise our players for not trying because mm. it's because it's not true. It's just it's not true at all. The the opposite is the case. Mm. You, you could possibly argue that they try too hard because they're not technically competent enough. The kind of message I wanted to get out at the end of the question, and I'll, I'll come to you first, George, because I think you might have a different answer. Definitely, the sigh is. Would you trust Bruce, bearing in mind how well this window's gone, and you know that, you have to, give, have to give Bruce credit for how well this window's gone. You have to. Let me answer the question. Let me ask the question, sorry. <laughs> Would you trust him to strengthen the next two windows and then judge him after that? Or do we have to judge him right now?
2: Well, in some ways, I think our opinion is irrelevant because, <laughs> um, you know, Ashley will do what he does. And yeah. I, think, I think having done, you know, we also don't know what's around the corner. Um, in terms of ownership so um, but this is his, this is Bruce's window and uh, I think he's handled it well I think you know I think the players he brought in they're his players they're not um, they're not the scouting staff's uh, players and after what happened last summer if you look at the big one then I'm pleased about that yeah. Um so so, I think he's earned the right i think to use that cliche he's earned the right to take it forward and but with that comes a certain pressure. He certainly didn't have a free pass last season because he never had that from the start, and I'm not trying to defend him for that it just that just wasn't the circumstance he walked into um I felt from him as a human being, but you know that's that, that you know there was no honeymoon there was no sort of there was no no stuff like that going on um and again, in terms of the way the season ended, he, has to, he, deserves, he deserves another go. I mean, I know what you'll say, Simon, because you'll say he doesn't and that we're on the one-way ticket to nowhere but, or worse. But I do think, I, th- I, th- I think in terms of the league position last season and what he's managed to do this summer, he deserves the chance to move it forward. Whether he's good enough is a different question.
3: I mean, you said the way we finished last season, we finished last season awful. The, awful the, the league, the, league yeah. the the league, position. League yeah. I know what you mean, I know what you mean. Look, I, I just, I, I, I want to stop getting carried away about the transfer under we've just had. It was good, it was good and better than several years previous for Newcastle United, but we've bought, we've spent 30 million, which isn't much for Premier League clubs in 2020. We've bought three t- players from relegated teams and another one who Burnley just didn't want to give a new contract to or couldn't agree a new contract with because he's, he's just okay. Um, These players are okay. Fraser's Okay, Callum Wilson's decent. He's had one double figures season in the Premier League. He's decent, but it's not brilliant. None of these players are wanted to buy top ten clubs. We were the we were the best of the of the bottom half of the table that fancied giving them a punt because they're what we could afford, and that's the only reason we've bought these players is because they were affordable. It's not because we've. I, I refuse to describe the transfer we've just had as a change of approach for Newcastle that Steve Bruce has achieved. It's just the same old Newcastle scrapping around and getting whatever bargains we can get, and yes, they're better bargains than normal, but. No, They're I'm.
2: Sorry, I d- I d- no, I think I think I think signing Callum Wilson, who's 28 for 20 million quid, signals something different, and certainly and it's a bargain. Them on, and, and putting so, them on bigger wages. I agree. I agree. They didn't need to do this two years ago. They could have signed Rondon for 16 million two years ago when he arrived on loan. Benito's wanted him for 60 million quid, big wages, but not massively different from what yeah. from what Callum Wilson's on. So I know. And but that is if if. If Bruce has managed to persuade well, I mean, again, we don't know what the long t- we don't know what Ashley's thinking is here. If this is just protect my asset until I can sell it, fuck it. Fine, great. Yeah. You know, I'll do that. <laughs> and it probably, you know, it probably is that. Okay. You know, that this is that this is just if we don't do this right, if we if we don't have guaranteed signings this summer, and there's no there's never a guarantee, but if we don't have tried and tested this summer, then we're gonna go down. And that is the real risk. And that is the real risk. And if he's been listened to fair enough. Is that a sea change in terms of strategy or in terms of moving the club forward or getting better in a meaningful and significant way? Probably not. But if it's shored stuff up, so it's good enough, and hopefully with some slightly better football at the end of it, I'll take that for
1: now. We'll see in the next window, won't we, whether there's been a genuine change of approach or not. But I you know we have signed those players this time and whatever the reasoning behind it, Bruce has picked them. And, and and Ashley's given them the money to do it. Like the, There is credit due there. There is because it because it hasn't happened before for whatever reason. And obviously the, the politics involved and the takeover stuff, the, the ownership, all of that changes all of the time. So it's impossible to compare a window under Bruce with any other windows under Rafa because everything was different then. But the ultimate fact of it is we've signed a proven Premier League striker that's old in, in football in terms and especially in Mike Ashley football in terms. For twenty million quid and put him on a wage that's higher than anyone else at the club. We've signed Ryan Fraser, who Ryan Fraser is a good footballer, and he was on a free transfer. People would have been looking at him, but Newcastle have got him. We've signed Jamal Lewis, who was who was a well wanted footballer, now Liverpool bid less than us, so that's why they didn't sign him. But there would have been other teams looking at them, and we've gone and done those deals, and it's Bruce that's put the pressure on, and he's got them done. Now, whatever the reason that Ashley's allowed him to do it, it has happened. So that you know, the point of it is that's happened, and do we do we give him the chance in the next window? Assuming that we're going to get some money to spend, which is a massive assumption, obviously. Can you can you at least give him that? And uh, this is this is with the caveat that things don't go disgustingly bad for the re- for the first half of the season. and We're not in the relegation zone at Christmas. If if we're fourteenth at Christmas, do you give Bruce the next window and possibly till the summer to buy some more players to assemble the team that he wants to have, or is it cut the cut the man from the job now? Well, you know what my actual answer to that question
3: is, but I'll try to answer it fairly. Um, I would argue this whole, like, it's the first time it's happened isn't true. Um, we invested we invested heavily in the team that McLaren started the season with. We also shit our pants that January and gave him Shelby and Townsend as well. So we spent something like 100 million over the course of that season and still got relegated. I think they're terrified of that happening again. They've acknowledged that we were really poor for large seconds of last season. Certainly the last five, six games were atrocious and we desperately needed to spend some money on some good proven players to not get relegated. That's all we've done is give Bruce a chance of not getting relegated. He did it. (laughs) Bruce has basically said, Ashley, look, I'm not good enough to keep this team up. I need some players. And the they don't want to get relegated and they're probably still in this position where who else is going to come in and manage the club and I can get that. So, it's either... the, the
2: the key is that the club under Ashley has never been able to put two good decisions together. No. And so you would something would happen and you think, oh, I that's that was nice. That's not, <laughs> oh, we've done oh, right, okay. And then or, you know, they finish 5th and then only sign Anita. You know, ahead of a head of a Europa League campaign and stuff like that. They're just not capable of doing that. And so the test is can they do the next thing? Now, by the time January comes along, we don't know. You know, we don't know what the club will look like, blah, blah, blah. This, hopefully, is enough this summer to get it through. And I think that's, I think that has, I think probably that has been the key factor. At the same time, you would also hope it should be enough for the team to get better. But he is under pressure now because it becomes more, if he wasn't before, because it's more it's more his team now. He's he's put himself on the line. He got away, I mean, he kind of stupidly, he tried to claim Jalinton last summer. And sort of said, you know, we've had a remarkable transfer window and things like that. He does have a he does have a history of working with uh, peculiar owners and did it at um, you know certainly did it at Hull and did it quite did it quite well, albeit without the scrutiny that Newcastle have. And I think that was part of him sort of trying trying to sort of do that. But Chillington had absolutely nothing to do with him. You know, that was something that the club would have done, whoever was manager, tried to force him on Benitez, and he said no. And Bruce probably wasn't in that in that position he has taken ownership of it now and it is his to own and so he doesn't get that he doesn't get that pass anymore it's and
4: almost worked in his favour though I think in that because the club got it so horribly wrong um, and he's stuck with Joe Linton <laughs> through thick and thick well thin and thin I suppose yeah. um, and, and said look like what the, what the hell are we supposed to do with this so I suppose he's probably got a bit of credit in the bank from from Ashley and that he tried it their way and it went so horribly wrong. He said, look, we're, we can't go on like this. So I think that's probably kind of worked out for him. Obviously, it's not great for us because we've got 40 million wasted on the bench now um, and we're not going to ever recoup that. And <laughs> knowing what Ashley's like, he's he's not going to um, write that off, is he? He's, he's, he's not a man to, to sort of take a, a, a sort of a loss. Lying down, but it's just—I I th- think—I th- I think to answer the question, I, th- I think you have to—you have to give Bruce. And I know—I know everything you're saying, and I, I agree with it to an ex- extent. But you've—you've you've got to respect that he's, he has—he has changed the policy because we have bought players differently. Players that are proven in the Premier League, whether you like it or not, it's a fact. These pr- prim- are Premier League players. It is the Premier League players that three of them it's- are in the prime of their career. Whereas so we were always still with in Townsend when they thought we'd get relegated that year,
3: they didn't do enough that time, so they've gone one further to avoid that relegation. That was
4: four, five years ago, though. It's yeah, so change, it's gone for, It is because they didn't it, do it, it, it for three years after. The finances involved change, as well, because yeah, we, are,
2: are different. It's the age. It's but, the age as yeah. well. It's the age of for the, yeah. For the last the three years, it's we the had the a policy
4: manager. that they wouldn't they wouldn't sign players that were yeah. for the for the previous three years we had a manager who
3: would keep us up without the need for it so they didn't need to do it they've shit themselves this year because we don't have as good a manager and um they needed to spend money to keep us up to answer your question Mickey if we get to January and we're 14th in league which I think's ambitious but could happen I was wrong last season I could be wrong again um there'd be no point in spending any more money because what's what's going to happen like they, they don't care if we finish 12th or 14th do they and you're not gonna be able to spend money from that position and really, really accelerate up the league without spending serious money. So it'd be pointless. We might as well keep it in the bank and wait till the summer and either
1: well like we're, not, we're, not spend well, it then as well. Yeah, <laughs>
3: we're, Well we're just hanging on for a takeover, aren't we? Or if if Bruce gets to the end of his two years and think, right, I've had enough of that, get a new manager in, start again, someone else has a has a bit of a project. No way, for,
1: no way, Steve Bruce leaving this job after two years voluntarily. Not a chance. No yeah. chance. You're no. probably
3: right, but uh, yeah, there's no there'd be no point in spending money in January if we're in a reasonably safe position. What will be you the point? here, just you or my <laughs> <laughs> just just someone so being a realist. Like, what, what would be the point? Are
1: you uh, wearing uh, a Cy Camel mask?
3: I'd rather like, I'd rather Mike, put the money in like a, in a, Mike, a get a, out, a, low, yeah. a in a low yield savings account and just wait till the Steve Bruce era <laughs> passes and then spend it on some good players when
1: when we're a bit better. <laughs> I don't think now's the time for low yield savings accounts. <laughs> <laughs> the coronavirus. But, uh, this, is, this is an investment advice podcast, so we'll we'll move on. Um, I think that kind of wraps it up. It's been, you know, there's been some injections of positivity today. Uh, unexpectedly, not many, not many, but right. there's been a couple. Wouldn't say injections, like a scratch.
2: Well, yeah. No, no, we've been enthusiastic about our negativity. Yeah.
1: Which is, you know, the best. We've been word. enthusiastically <laughs> negative. It's the, best, yeah. it's the best. <laughs> the
4: best it. summary
3: we've had is that um, we've had 50% good and 50% bad. So far. So <laughs> yeah. They yeah. Can't, that's average. That's
2: average.
1: Long may it continue. Um, <laughs> George, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, this has been your True Faith Podcast. If you like what you've heard, subscribe on Patreon. We do, I don't know how many shows we do now, maybe three three to six a week, depending on what's going <laughs> on. It seems to be a lot of the because There's a lot to cover. It's all negative, but there you go. I think we've got uh, Keith Gillespie on the, the normal preview this week. So listen out for that Pro one. I'll, I'll be hosting that. No, the normal preview, oh, not the, the preview. preview. Oh, well. And um, I think, I you're doing another show with Andy Griffin. Is that this week or possibly next, next week? next week. Um, anyway. Gillespie's week. We've got them on rotation. Uh, thanks, uh, <laughs> thanks for sticking with you, Faith. Cheers.